Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, this is episode number 370, How to Flip the Stress Switch in Dating and Relationships, with best-selling author and neuropsychologist Dr. Amy Sarin. I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and in love. So what is a woman of value? She is somebody who shows up, stands up, and speaks up. She knows her value. She's not afraid to speak up, and she knows that in order to create the life she wants, she needs to be more visible and um and and really connect in a much more bold and and feminine way. And every week I bring you a tip on how to become that woman of value. This week's tip is love your body. This is such a huge issue for women and I've had guests on the show who talked about body love and body shame and all the stuff that we do from societal pressures and um, it's so important to love the body we have, to be grateful for the body we have. It's so easy to get caught up in the cellulite and all the things that we notice as imperfections. But just um, one thing, my friend Nina Manelson, who's also going to be on my other podcast, the Woman of Value podcast, uh, this coming Friday, September, whatever it is, the 6th or 7th, uh, the 6th, um, she talks about how it's sometimes too hard to go from body shame to body love because it feels like too big of a leap. So my challenge for you today is if you if you want to take one step forward to love your body a little more, and you don't have to get all the way to, oh, my God, my body is amazing, but just to maybe not say negative things about your body. Try that for a week and see how it feels. All right, so before I bring on uh, Amy Sarin, I wanted to invite anyone who's not yet a member of my Facebook group. We have a free group. It's called Your Last First Date, and we have about 3,000 women in there who are over 40, single, or in relationships. This is a very different group from what's out there. There is no venting and pointless posts. We monitor every post that goes on into the group. And um, it's a place to grow. It's a place to learn and to really challenge yourself to think differently about dating and relationships and to think about yourself in a way that's positive and growth-oriented. So go to Your Last First Date to uh, join our group. And now for my guest, Dr. Amy Sarin. She is a best-selling author. She's a neuropsychologist, and she invented stress technology called touch points. She has a new book out called The Stress Switch, The Truth About Stress and How to Short-Circuit It. It highlights the new neuroscience of stress and how we've got it all wrong when it comes to stress management. Dr. Saren's insights and invention have helped people over 1 million times in 2018, and she's on a mission to help cure people from their excess stress so they can live better lives. I love it. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. Pleasure. This is such a great topic. So why stress? Why do you have such an interest 
in this topic? Well, I started out as a neuropsychology in clinics in Arizona about 12 years ago, and um, most neuropsychologists don't actually do therapy. So I love people so much that I always kept that as a part of my practice. And I just realized that we were really under um, misunderstanding how stress works in the mind. You know, we we're really overcomplicating um, the neural pathways and how all these things work in our mind. And then as a result, we're very confused and we over apply uh, the power of conscious thought to control stress in the moment. So my aim is to kind of help people better understand their brains and bodies so that they can actually um, do better in their lives. You know, we try to talk ourselves out of stress and it doesn't work. And then we feel bad and we're logically, we know something, but our heart is still pounding and racing and, in doing this and trying to also prevent and treat PTSD, I realized that we could actually hack the stress system with vibrating devices in about 30 seconds. And um, we can reduce stress in about 62% in 30 seconds. And then over the five years that ensued after that, I realized this isn't just about stress. This is about what you are willing to do in your life. This is about not being irritable. This is about how much empathy you can have for somebody in the moment. Really our stress system modulate everything either wonderful or not wonderful about the human condition. And it's just um, such an important message for people because we all have nervous systems and therefore we all have stress and we're all looking for ways to, I think, lead better lives. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I see so much <laughs> in my practice too. And I, I love that you're seeing this in such a holistic way. And I, we, we teach boundaries. I'm about to launch a boundaries challenge next week, um, which is an introduction to a boundaries course that I'm repeating with a co-host of mine. And a part of communication, boundary setting, all of this is to get centered. You know, the first step in all of this is the, the centering of ourselves and I, I have a daughter who was suffering from some anxiety stuff, uh, some issues last week. And when I talked to her about centering and meditation and, and really trying to alleviate a lot of the stressors in her mind um, that were affecting her sleep, and it affects everything. Um, so this is this is such an important topic. Um, and it yeah, and relationships. It does affect dating and relationships, and so I'll make a, two comments. One is that, you know, we often tell people, if you think stress like a switch, a dimmer switch, and off is zero, and, you know, full-blown fight-or-flight panicking is a 10, and there's, it's being turned up and down for you during the day. So a lot of people think, oh, I, you know, I, I'm stressing myself out. Well, an automatic thought that you don't even have control over, it's spontaneously generated, that can switch your stress switch up. Or a loud sound can stress your switch your stress switch up without your knowledge. It's only after the fact that we go and try to figure everything out consciously. But this is a non it's a pre conscious, non conscious system. And that's really important to know that the switch is being turned up and down all day long. Whether or not you're aware of it, and you know that because you know, I used to run with a friend and whenever I had a heart monitor on, whenever I'd start talking about my ex boyfriend um, I, my heart rate would go up and it would start beeping. I wasn't exercising any harder. I was getting stressed out at the thought of him, right? Now, I was consciously bringing those thoughts up in those moments, but a lot of times 
thoughts are automatic and we try to control them then with consciousness. And that only works if our stress switch is below about a five. If it's higher than that, we actually don't even have access to our consciousness to be able to turn the stress switch down. So that's really important. It can get turned up for you quite easily, but trying to sink it down is a very, very uh, inefficient process and it often doesn't work. And then what we tell people to do, which is good advice, that's what you told your daughter, you know, meditate, you don't need to do, you know, think positively, do this, do that. That's great if they're only moderately stressed. But the moment you're above moderately stressed on that stress switch, those options are not available to your brain in that moment because stress literally turns off those neural networks. Mm. So is it about really catching, like trying to be more conscious of the stress so it doesn't get to that point? Is that part of it? If you can catch it on the way up, then that can be effective. So if I notice, gosh, you know, my stomach feels kind of bad and my chest is tightening. I'm not, you don't need to know why, actually. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. I'm going to take some deep breaths and walk around and calm my nervous system down, right? You You can override the nervous system temporarily if you like. But if you're really stressed out um, in that moment, so if it's something, you know, you get an email from, you know, your ex and it's just you're in the middle of a divorce and it sends you up to a nine, you are not going to be able to make that conscious choice. In that moment, the a bottom up, what we call bottom up process is the thing that's going to disrupt it. So that's why I put the technology in the touch points where if you turn those on, then that will actually disrupt it. But you cannot consciously think yourself out of fight or flight you can't even breathe yourself out of fight or flight how many people are panicking you're like just breathe just breathe they cannot even get a full breath in Mm -hmm. so the methods that we use to reduce stress they can take a long they can be ineffective they can take a long time or they can be very very quick and powerful and that's what this new stress hack does and in terms of relationships when, um, you know, if you're divorced, you've been through a huge trauma, right? We've all had breakups, even if we're not divorced, or relationships that we say failed or maybe some difficult time, and we're trying to kind of rebuild, right? The, our brains will unconsciously signal us to avoid certain situations because of unresolved trauma or stress that we felt. Our stress system is there to protect us and help us survive, but it often overgeneralizes So, you know, if I have an experience with one, let's say, covert narcissist, right, then the next, you know, and then suddenly I, my nervous system might signal me to avoid all men, which isn't, isn't, is overkill, but it's automatic until we go heal some of that trauma or we de-stress ourselves in enough moments around that, that we can kind of break through that neural pattern that was created. Yeah. And so oftentimes the talking and the listening just isn't enough to get us to change our behavior. You know, people can be in talk therapy for a year and it can be very helpful and they can still avoid a new relationship or not trust someone who's proven themselves to be trustworthy because they really haven't healed that part of them. And that has to do with whether or not it's resolved in the nervous system. So so tell us how that works. Well, oftentimes if people go through certain stress, let's say someone has a very, you know, difficult relationship and they're very healthy um, and happy in general and they talk to their friends about it and they kind of heal from it and they put things into perspective and they go to a coach, you know, like you, that can resolve it and then they move on. But for people who are maybe in a vulnerable period in their life and that happens, it gets embedded 
uh, it gets rooted more firmly, okay? And in those cases, sometimes people would need um, more to help them heal, like EMDR therapy is a great option. It's used for post-traumatic stress disorder, but oftentimes we use it for grief or for healing from traumatic relationships. And when you're avoiding something and you don't know why, like I really, really want to have a loving relationship, but I just can't bring myself to go on a dating app or I can't bring myself to, you know, respond to this person that's interested in me, even though he might be great. I think that's where we want to go in and dig in a little bit deeper and resolve that because there's unconscious signaling and processing going on that you're not aware of that is actually um, in control. And if you think your consciousness is in control, you're sorely mistaken. You know, if it was, we would not do half the behaviors that we do. None of, you know, we would all be eating healthy. None of us would have addictions. <laughs> None of us would get yeah. irritated with people. You know, our, our other networks in our brain are really, really in charge. And our consciousness is just a tiny, tiny little network and a small piece of the puzzle. And yet we're using this as our main muscle to kind of control everything else. And it's very, very temporary and it's very inefficient. Yeah, I, I, and I'm very familiar with EMDR therapy. I have friends who are therapists who I have a friend who's a, uh, who teaches EMDR therapy to other therapists. And, um, yeah, these, these unconscious and going into more um, uh, embodiment, um, but, you know, we have in coaching I use a lot of, a lot of alternative ways of working with people through mm-hmm. – meditations and visualizations mm-hmm. and um, a lot of, like, reminders, like, um, you know, that we talk about highest self when we first start working together and they have, like, a symbol to bring them back to their highest self. Um, so we do it through a guided meditation and they find a symbol. So it's like an instant reminder of who I really am at my core. Um, mm-hmm. These things work beyond the conscience, conscious brain, to um, to get people connected back. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have any other? I, you talked about EMDR, and you have your. Tell us about your device, and and like, is this on a on app? Is it part of a, a phone? Like, how does this work? Yeah, there are actually two devices, and they can be worn as wearables on your wrists or in your hands or your pockets or your socks. So you have to have two, and they actually vibrate. They alternate vibrations, um, and we've used alternating. It's called bilateral stimulation. We've used that in EMDR therapy for years um, to help resolve trauma, but I did the work and through electroencephalogram studies and um, a triple-blind placebo-controlled study, and I was like, mouthful, um, we figured out that it actually just on its own without therapy can actually just calm the stress response down. So whenever you're in a stressful situation, you can actually turn the, the devices on and they just, they're gentle vibrations and they'll actually lower the nervous system stress response by, um, by over half in less than a minute. So it's pretty miraculous and you can use them all through the day. So, so women going through, you know, a divorce or women going through, you know, just stress at work or having children, usually just keep them charged and then they use them in different situations. So if your you know, child comes home and he's just been bullied that day, you put him in his hands while he talks to you about it and it actually lowers the stress response so that in that moment you're preventing future post-traumatic stress disorder or upset or things like that and it can resolve things in the nervous system very quickly. Um, 
So it's just another tool to use as we're, you know, navigating this thing called life. And um, there's a lot of things that can work to lower stress, but this is the quickest, most efficient thing that I've found. And you can do it while you're multitasking because a lot of times when we're trying to manage stress, we make it stressful. We tell, you know, we basically add an hour to people's day or tell them they should be doing something else and life can already be overwhelming. So this is just kind of a quick and easy solution as a go-to for stress. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, yeah, so, so there's a connection to how EMDR works with using, like, left, the left brain, right brain crossover kind of uh, stuff. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, it, the mechanisms of action in EMDR and bilateral stimulation are really complicated. If um, I'm happy to send you some research on it, but it's, okay. it's, it has to deal with the salience network in the brain. And the salience network is the network that integrates all the sensory information and decides what to do with your attention and what to do with your stress switch. Am I going to turn it on, up or down? And it, and it does it without your awareness. So it turns the stress switch on, and then you may become aware of it if it's on pretty high. But a lot of times when we're monitoring people, like in couples therapy, um, John and Julie Gottman are famous uh, couples therapists, and they have a love lab where they look at people's electroencephalograms and their heart rates and all these things, and then they have them rate their stress. And a lot of times couples who have tumultuous relationships, they actually think they're okay, but their nervous systems are telling a very different story. And it's based on the nervous system response to a partner that they actually can predict whether or not people will be happily married or unhappily married or divorced. And they're very good at predicting it based on yeah. the nervous system. But if you ask our consciousness, it's like, no, I want to believe this, you know, and, and this is what gets us all into trouble. Like, you know, you mentioned a, a coaching client who, um, oh my gosh, you know, I, I was just, I just did it again. I was with another narcissist. You know, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if we're measuring their nervous system, their nervous systems are telling us a different story than their choices and their consciousness. And this is why we get involved with the same pattern over and over again until we disrupt our own pattern somehow. And that's what you, you're here to do for us, Sandy, right, is to, is to get us this pattern interrupt that helps us make better choices and live better lives. And, um, but when you are making choices to and missing red flags um, and kind of making excuses for people and doing what, you know, I'm like a recovering codependent. So things that I would do in relationships, right? If I find myself doing that again, my nervous system would be giving me red flags and I would actually be consciously ignoring them because I'm, I'm patterned to do that. And so if we resolve though, some of these things in our stress systems, then we might be, we might be able to make uh, different choices faster. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, you know that and I can relate to the recovering codependency. Um, I have the same <laughs> same. Um, I'm in that club too, and and I find like what for me it's about uh, overextending. Um, like I'll, I'll some like I used to only notice it after a long time. Like I've been giving, 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 and then I realize, oh my God, I am completely depleted. This is a one-sided relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not working. Now mm-hmm. I'm much better at recognizing where I end and where the other person begins. Um, I'll mm-hmm. notice it maybe after you know a very short period of time, and then I'll ask for what I want. Um, 
are pulled back, you know, and so it's more of an equal relationship unless it's not, and then it, it ends. So it's, right. it's, you know, it's the noticing um, faster and habituating new behaviors too. And I find that when when you practice behaviors over and over and over again, practice speaking up, practice setting those boundaries, practice being aware and in tune, and in my practice, that that's what really creates the change that, Mm-hmm. has me be more aware much more quickly. Right. And so that's um, this is kind of like we're talking about a complete breakfast, right? How do we nourish ourselves as within relationship to ourselves and our own relationship? And an, another ingredient could be like adding the touch points because a lot of times you can practice behaviors. It's very hard to start them. And so if you lower your fear response, it'll be easier to start them. And then a lot of times people will say, you know, I'm practicing boundaries, I'm doing this, but I just can't seem to, like, break up with him or I can't seem to do this. Fear kicks in. And remember, when fear kicks in and your stress switches on, your body is signaled to avoid something. And there may be some unresolved beliefs or things like that that are fueling this fear, right? Like, I'm afraid to be alone. You know, I'm afraid that there's nothing better out there for me. Um, I'm afraid that no one will, you know, love me the way that he does or or these things. And even if you can't identify what it is, you may be avoiding doing what your intuition is telling you you're right, is right to do for you. And that is actually a function of your stress switch. And when we lower that, proportionally, courage will proportionally kick in, right? And so then you've got maybe all the ingredients to um, to do what you need to do instead of having to learn some of the hard lessons over and over and over again because it's ultimately your stress switch and your fear system that are keeping you away from from your best life even if you if you if you know better and you're practicing all these other things when there's a misalignment like I know this but I can't bring myself to do it mm-hmm. then that's the key that it that your stress switch is the culprit yeah yeah I had to have a small coaching group and one of my clients um, is really changing her dating pattern to somebody who's healthy and her whole system is out of whack because she's used to excitement and unhealthy and not having her needs met and here's this guy who's really attentive and she's starting to shut down and so it's Mm -hmm. you know and, and ignoring her own needs and she said, well, I'm on vacation. I'll go back to taking care of myself in a week. And I was like, uh-uh. You're going to take care of yourself today. You know, as soon mm-hmm. as we hang up, you're going to start this. Because it's like, I, you know, I give up what's important to me to make somebody else happy. It's this patterns, but also that discomfort with what could be healthy until you really change these patterns for good. Yeah, and here's the interesting thing is let's not forget that that what we call a variable response ratio is the most is the most addictive thing. So when you're in a relationship with somebody that's dramatic but fun and charismatic, which a lot of sociopaths and narcissists are, right? Um, that is like a slot machine. That is way more addictive than if I put in a dollar and got a dollar and one cent back every time I played a slot machine. I'm not going to get addicted to that. I'm going to get bored with it. It's going to be very reliable and very safe and a much better decision than me putting in money and getting nothing for a really long time and possibly losing it all. But it's not, it's not as fun. So we get, there's this excitement piece. And now we're talking about our 
pleasure center and our reward center, being sort of uh, addicted to this pattern. This pattern is so exciting that I'm sort of hooked in. And so a lot of times what I do in my clinics, because I actually still see patients, is we do something called a feeling state addiction protocol, and we detox women from um, these exciting but very toxic men, and we take away the, the pleasure center's control over the decision. Because when you're making decisions about, okay, am I going to, you know, drink alcohol right now and I shouldn't, or am I going to have some, you know, water club soda, or am I going to date this addictive guy that's toxic or the nice guy and, and have to tolerate being a little bit bored, even though this is a loving, healthy relationship, this is the system, this pleasure system is actually can be in charge a little bit. And this, when this system takes over, it overrides our thinking brain, just like our stress system can override our thinking brain. And then we make decisions that have long-term consequences for us. Mm. Interesting. So, so it's like which network is in charge? Yeah, which network is in charge? And because of our patterns, some of these networks that we do not want, we don't want our stress system in charge, and we don't want our pleasure network system in charge either. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have the balance of the heart, uh, the heart and the brain, <laughs> the mind and the soul. Right. It can't be one or the other. It has to be. You gotta exactly. take both of you, right? Mhm. Yeah, um, and that's not to say you won't have pleasure. It's just to say that we don't want that network overriding the decision network in your brain that makes better decisions. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, Amy, um, a lot of times when somebody says we need to talk. It triggers a big stress switch, and um, I just got off the phone recently with somebody who had to talk to her boyfriend about something really sticky and tough. And so um, how how can people handle these kinds of tough conversations without necessarily igniting terrible stress switches from turning on and going crazy? Well, you can't because it's just going to turn on for you. But what you can do is you can turn it down. So those are what I call touch point moments where what you do is, you know, if if I have to talk to my boyfriend about something upsetting or something that I may, you know, may take me a lot of courage, I have them on and then I hand them to him. Um, and so he, while he's to prevent him from going into fight or flight or to keep his stress level low so we can have a productive conversation, um, then we, we use those as kind of our, you know, a, a hack to help us because it is hard. And so most of us are white knuckling our stress. It takes us a lot to get to the table to even talk. And then if we, it, another person's stress, which goes on, nothing productive is going to happen. And this is couples therapy 101, right? Don't talk when either one of you is in fight or flight mm-hmm. because it's not going to go well, right? And um, you can sit there in fight or flight, but even if you're sitting there in fight or flight and you appear calm, you're not going to remember the conversation very well, um, you're going to maybe distort uh, some of the things to be very, very negative. You know, there's a whole chapter in my book on what we call cognitive distortions, and those are all more likely to happen when your stress switch is on. So in order to be productive and have these conversations, and, you know, my, my suggestion is to not white-knuckle your stress switch being high. It's to get it lower, um, and, and then you're going to be more productive and things are going to be a lot easier. So if people don't have the touch points, um, what are some other ways that people can get their stress lower before they speak? Um, I would say write it down. Write down what you want to say. 
and reread it several times. The actual act of, of moving your eyes bilaterally while you're reading something is, can be very desensitizing and very calming. Um, doing visualization exercises, making sure you're in a good state that day. You know, if you, if you exercise in the morning and have a healthy breakfast and had a good night's sleep, and then you want to come to the table and discuss it, then um, you're going to be a lot more calm than you are if you are have a lack of sleep and, you know, you eat a donut for breakfast and didn't eat lunch, right? So you want to be in kind of a healthy state of mind when you start. Um, and, and then if there's any other go-tos that you do, you know, like breathing exercises or meditation, that would be great. Um, and then don't do it with any kind of time pressure. Um, so anytime we, and don't do it when you're in the car, you know, on the phone or in situations where there's external things that can create your, that can make your stress switch go up, right? Uh, don't do it after a really stressful day at work. You know, make sure you're in the right frame of mind at, and your default stress switch is low and that, that will hopefully prevent it from going into full-blown fight or flight. Then if one of you goes into fight or flight, right, if one of your stress switches is like a seven or higher, you go, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to talk. We're going to table this and talk at another time because it's not going to be productive. Um, people start interrupting you. They get upset. They get defensive. Men typically will maybe shut down and go into freeze mode and withdraw. Uh, so what you want to do is you want to make sure that both of you can get through the conversation with a low to moderate stress level and then resolve resolve things positively. Mm. Great tips. I have done all of these things and um I, I I know that when I was dealing with a lot of stress with my children post divorce, um, one of one of my favorite go tos was just to let them know I couldn't have the conversation in the middle of a fight. Like I just needed to go into my room and take mm -hmm. a break um, and calm down because I didn't want to say something I'd regret. And mm -hmm. I would let them know that I I wanted to take a break because I loved them and cared about what came out of my mouth. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. it, you know, so I think stating your intention is also really helpful. Um, as I said to this client, you know, to let the letter boyfriend know that she wants to have this conversation to get closer to him, not to, you know, to set it up so it's not immediately defensive. Oh my God, you want to, you want to talk? Um, right. So. Um, yeah, there's a way to be very soft that won't trigger them, and all these tips are good for kids too. You don't, you don't want to engage your kids when they're in fight or flight. We try to talk to our kids a lot when they're in fight or flight and it doesn't work. And then they can become more enraged and tantrum more or get upset more. So this, this doesn't just apply to your significant other relationships, but in any relationship when anyone's in fight or flight. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> um, and I love Gottman's work, by the way, that was one of the first, one of the first things that I read was, some of Gottman's work, and it was just so eye-opening for me. Uh, I mm -hmm. think that their studies are fascinating. Um, unfortunately, we have to end. This has been such a great conversation. I, I could talk about this for hours. And in closing, I always like to ask, what is your best advice for listeners who want to go on their last first date? Um, I would say... Uh, discernment before you go on the first date is my best advice. And to throw out your shallow checklist 
um, and pay attention to what you, you know, tell women to pay attention to, how you feel, the experience, are they kind, are they principled, you know, those things. I actually met my boyfriend on someone else's dating app in Colorado. I live in Arizona, and I met a woman from Arizona who was showing me her match.com, and he was on there, and I met him, and we've been together for two years. He's incredibly kind and loving, um, and if I had put my own match profile up, I would not have been matched with him because of some of the criteria I would have put in. Mm. So that ditching the shallow checklist and paying attention to what is real, I think is my, is my uh, go-to advice. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for coming on the show today and um, let, let our listeners know how they can find your book and find you. Sure. So the book is called The Stress Switch, The Truth About Stress and How to Short Circuit It. You can go to my website at amysarin, that's A-M-Y-S-E-R-I-N.com, and get the book, or you can find it on Amazon. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for making our our world a little calmer, a lot calmer, um, and able to handle things in a much more grounded happier way I mean just imagine a life without stress and how it changes everything so thank you it affects everyone you touch and you know what everyone deserves to live their best life so I hope I hope this has touched some people and helped them out today thank you so much yes thank you and thanks everybody for listening and if you love our show please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast share the episode with your friends And um, I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. 